Welcome to the Bitcoin Meetups Australia. I think we've stuffed up with the times. So apologies to everyone who's watching this afterwards. Um, yeah, daylight saving. I hate it. Let's let's, let's abolish it. I reckon it ruins it ruins lives. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, today we're going into hardware wallets. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff to to dive into for that, and I've got an activity planned at the end that um. I think people might find interesting. Um, so yeah, basically there's there's a bit of a, there was a really good article that I found about signing devices. I was going to ping you, Chris, actually, to, to see, because I know I sent it to you and I was like a website set up basically explaining why we should shift from um, the term hardware wallet to signing device. And it's basically the idea is um, that you, when you have a hardware wallet, there's actually no, Bitcoin or crypto sitting on that device. You actually just have a device that can sign transactions. Um, so it's a big, big difference. Um, and there's like a, there's a whole backstory to that and a big debate on Twitter about it. Um, I'm of two minds. Like I get the the thinking, um, but I think it's for people sort of that are already there, right? So like if we're onboarding people, Hardware wallets probably a nicer, nicer, more palatable term. Um, I wanted to share this like Bitcoin grenade as well because it's something that I bought just recently. <laughs> I've actually got one, and it's got like open dimes inside of it. Or you, that's what you're meant to do. So an open dime is uh, this little guy here, which you can probably see, um, which I'll get into later. Which is a, a really cool hardware wallet that's uh, made basically for giving people. Um, Satoshi's is kind of the, uh, the backstory to that. All right. So just wanted to bring this one up. So this is a, <laughs> this is something I built back in 2012. Um, and the idea was basically hardware wallets before I knew what a hardware wallet was. So we we're kind of approaching businesses and saying like, we can set up like a cash register slash till for you with cold storage. And at the time, like cold storage was essentially setting up a PC um, that was disconnected from the internet. So that was, that was my thinking behind it. And if you want to, I've just like, I've paid for the domain just, just for historical value. Um, if you want to go check it out and see the, the wacky ideas I had back then and kind of where we've, we've come from there. It was, uh, it's been an interesting journey to actually have like, you know, hardware wallets that everybody uses every day. Um, from an idea that I had of just using hardware sort of disconnected from the internet. Um, the other thing we have um, for anyone who needs some tutoring um, around uh, BTC specifically, but Web3 and, you know, all the other cryptos and stuff. So it's an a, a Australian uh, project running through the Digital Playhouse. Uh, we're actually doing tutoring over the Lightning Network. So we each have a Vita page set up. And um, yeah, you can contact us and ask us any questions and that, that you have like pertinent to hardware wallets specifically or, or anything else and security along the way. And yeah, we've got a, a growing team there and it's um, yeah, been a really cool project with an open curriculum that we're building out specifically for uh, financial literacy as well. So hit us up on there if you need some extra support. Um, so Coinstop, actually, Chris, you're here. Do you want to, do you want to talk about Coinstop? So I think uh, supporting Australian organisations and companies is really, really important. And if you don't, I can just talk about Coinstop. Oh, I can give a, a quick, a quick pr uh, primer on Coinstop. So yeah, to everyone who doesn't know me, my name's Chris. I'm the CEO and founder of Coinstop, which is Australia's first and largest hardware wallet provider. Uh, we've been doing it since 2016. Um, so quite a while. So I know a thing or two about hardware wallets. Um, but yeah, uh, we just try to give people a genuine place to receive good customer support and fair pricing. Um, and of course, as fast as possible delivery, because we're obviously based here in Australia. Um, but yeah, it's great that uh, Kieran and, and and the team have put on this, uh, this uh, I guess, event on hardware wallets, because uh, obviously it's something close to my heart and something I think is Probably the most important thing uh, when it comes to Bitcoin, um, being mm -hmm. able to secure your keys. And, and I agree completely with um, some of the things you said at the start, Kieran. 
um, about signing devices and hardware wallets. I believe yeah. wallets are a much more palatable term just because mm-hmm. everyone is accustomed to it. You put your money in your wallet, you put your credit card in your wallet. It's a very you know, user-friendly term. But um, technically speaking, the correct term would be something like a signing device because you're right, there are no Bitcoin physically. Well, there are no Bitcoin physically. It's not a physical thing, but there's nothing mm. stored on the hardware wallet itself other than that private key, which is the signing key. That's right. Could I ask you, um, if if you don't mind, like what's what's your hottest selling hardware wallet um, through through Coinstop? Um, historically, it's been one of the Ledger products. So the Ledger Nano S, which you can see on the screen there, the third one along, it's actually been discontinued since because we've got the newer version, which the, the Ledger Nano S Plus, uh, which just has a few extra features, but is ultimately very, very similar. Um, yeah, so probably the Ledger products, and then it would be followed closely by the Trezor devices. I kind of explain it to people. Um, it's kind of like Apple and Samsung. They seem to own you know, 90% of the smartphone market. Um, mm. And I think Ledger's kind of like Apple and Samsung is kind of like Trezor. Um, yeah. Apple is very friendly. Anyone can pick one up and start using it. It's, you know, very sleek. It's very sexy. Um, but if you're kind of a bit more of a nerd, you don't have to be a nerd to own an Android, of course, but there's a bit more ability to tinker with thing. It's a bit more like altruistic in that sense. Um, so that's kind of how I explain it. And we know how popular Apple and, and Samsung are obviously. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good analogy actually because like obviously the Trezor's open source, Ledger's not, and it's it kind of mirrors like Apple. Yeah, has. Apple's a bit of a closed garden, isn't it? You know, yep. they do their things their way and if you, you kind of can't really dip your toe in, you've got to go all in. Otherwise, you can't get the full experience. Um, and, they're, and they're obviously very good at what they do and, and so is Ledger. Um, but yeah, those are the two most sell- most popular products. They are the the one and the two. The tre- <coughs> excuse me, um, the Trezor device that you see there, the original next to the one on uh, next to the pink one on the left there. That's that's the original Bitcoin hardware wallet. Um, yeah. I think it was two thousand and thirteen, if my yep. memory serves me correctly, that that came out. So that's still sold today, nine years later, and is still very much a secure and you know gold standard device. So I think that really kind of says a lot about their company and the and the quality of the products that they build that nine years later, that these things are still very much considered uh, a reasonable and great solution when it comes to securing your Bitcoin. Now, there are, of course, other brands out there, just like there are with smartphones, you know, LG, Huawei, you know, and a number of different brands, but they own a lot less of the market share. So um, most people kind of find themselves purchasing either a Ledger or a Trezor. The other product that I personally like, you see on the screen there, is the BitBox. Um, So it comes in a multi-cryptocurrency version, but also a Bitcoin-only edition. Um, Mm. I think they're really cool, Um, have like a really unique way to interact with it with the sort of um, like buttons you can't really see, but you can press. It's a very funny experience. If you've um, used like a Legend NOS, you know that the buttons are quite a little bit funky and small but these have like this nice touch sensor thing where you can slide and do all sorts of different navigation. So it's pretty fun. But at the end of the day, like all of the hardware wallets typically do the exact same thing. And that is generate and store your private key in an encrypted chip. Um, So you can't really go too wrong with most of them, Um, but it kind of, it does also come down to like, what do you like? You, You can get like one of those card version ones that look like a credit card that are a bit more portable, or you could go with something that's a bit more bulky that has like all the bells and the whistles, Bluetooth capacity, you know, all sorts of different things. Um, it does come down to a personal preference at the end of the day. Whoa, Keep Key. That's a, that's a big discount there. Yeah, I mean, uh, Keep Key has been around for a while as well. They were actually selling their own Keep Keys on their own website for $10, uh, which was a little bit annoying because we had bought a whole bunch of them and we're the official reseller and then they go ahead and just sell them oh, for 10 no. bucks <laughs> like, we didn't even buy them for 10 bucks so we're kind of just like at this point if someone wants to give us 10 bucks we'll give them one um <laughs> they're yeah, not very popular they don't they don't do bitcoin do they so it's it's everything else but from what i've seen is that the case i, I didn't i wasn't aware of that i haven't used the yeah. keep key for like five years yeah 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 so it's linked to um oh what's the eric Voorhees. <laughs> 
platform. I can't think of the name of it. Shapeshift. Oh, it used to be Shapeshift. Yeah, shape, Shapeshift and like whatever it's turned into now. Um, it's cool. Like, I mean, what he's, he's built out, it's all open and they basically dissolved the company to make this open source company, but there's no BTC. So it's like all these like alts and weird coins that you can get on there. Um, kind of backed by their own ERC20 and that's all sitting on the hardware wallet. So interesting, but yeah, I, yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't do BTC, so it's <laughs> not much use. Um, not, not one I'd probably recommend anyway, to be not honest. What I recommend. No. <laughs> Hence the massive discount. <laughs> um, that's cool, man. Oh, thanks. Thanks for jumping into that. That's, that's great. Um, cool. So going on to the next one I wanted to touch base on now, uh, I know uh, Ollie, who's not here, so Tiggs, he's actually bought a couple of these um, that we're going to play around with next week, I think. But basically, you can build, with a Raspberry Pi Zero, build your own seed signer. Um, and the idea is that the hardware is all open source and the software is all open source. So you can actually even 3D, 3D print your own cases and the whole thing. Um, and, yeah, basically, you're setting up a, a device a device signer um with all open source software and hardware so i'll report back on on how we go with that but i'm I'm pretty excited to actually build build our own the funny thing is like this is only you know a recent sort of thing but a couple of years ago maybe three years ago one of the kids at school um wanted to get some raspberry pies because he found came across like some project online to make your own um hardware wallet with a raspberry pi zero so we bought a bunch and he was like 3D printing cases. And I was like, yeah, this is really cool. And like, we didn't get much time to sort of see it out or get any other kids doing the same thing. But he was obviously well ahead of his time because this is like a big movement now. So it's kind of cool to see like a 10-year-old a at the forefront of, uh, of doing this sort of thing. Um, shout out to Imtiaz if you, if you watch this, buddy. <laughs> um, now this one, Sparrow Wallet um i've got it installed but i haven't used it so um yeah ollie actually posted this he said it's his favorite go-to wallet now it's not a hardware wallet it's an install for your android device i don't know if it's on apple yet um but he said like the security is just off the chain so you can basically connect any hardware wallet to it so like say you have your ledger or your treasure or whatever signing device you can link it up and then link it up to your own node as well. But apparently the, the suite of tools that these guys have built is incredible. Um, but yeah, again, I haven't really played around with it too much. So worth investigating at some point if you have uh, have the chance. Bit of a bland website there. But yeah, all, all open, obviously. It's sitting on GitHub. Um, so Sparrow Wallet, Ledger. So you've kind of touched base on this already, Chris. But um Ledger's cool, uh, but like we said, it's all closed source. So it's basically, yeah, like you said, I like that analogy of it being like Apple. So basically, if you want a device to do like NFTs and altcoins and, you know, Shibu Inu and, you know, do all these weird swaps and stuff that um, you can do within the wallet, so Ledger Live. Um, Security-wise, that's it's not really recommended because uh, basically it is closed source. And Ledger Live um, is basically open to whoever um, wants to sort of look at, into the transactions and stuff that are on there, um, but very easy to use. So it's a step in the right direction. So it's like a stepping stone. So I'd say Ledger and Ledger Lives is probably the easiest um, setup and the easiest thing to, to, to get, like pull it out of the box and get rocking with it. Um, like I've, I keep this on my key ring and it's a, it's a great little device just to get started and sort of play around with it. So I'd, I'd highly, um, recommend grabbing one. Um, but with that knowledge that it's not the be all and end all of security. And if you want some, something sort of secure for your NFT projects or whatever it is, it's, it's the one to go with. Oop. Yeah. Trezor. Trezor is an awesome device as well. Uh, again, it does a bunch of altcoins. Um, so if you have like Cardano or Doge or whatever, um, you can actually store them on, on there as well. And it is completely open source. So meaning you can review or if if you know someone that can review the code um, that it's it's built on, you can do that. So it's that's it's a complete opposite to to Ledger. I think the interface is quite good. And and like you said, Chris, since 2013 till now, 
it's improved a lot and um i think it's it's pretty easy to use now it's just probably takes a, a little bit more effort than than ledger um so worth worth looking into um and i think a bit more expensive than ledger as well from memory so um yeah it's about the same i would actually say that from what i've noticed selling hardware wallets for the last six years that just looking at our custom support tickets you know it's it's pretty much 95 percent ledger and like five percent trezor like very few people ever come to me and say hey i've just bought a, a trezor off you you know i just don't know what i'm doing can you help wow. me? like it's yeah. I, I actually think i actually think the user usability and user experience is better on a trezor and without getting into the weeds, I think it's because of the fact that they don't have the concept of apps. So those who have used a Ledger device know that you need to download and install apps on the device. And when you run out of room, it gets all confusing. So I think the fact that Trezor don't have that design actually mm. makes it a lot easier to use. Um, that's just the feedback I've gotten. Like, you know, we offer one-on-one -on -one consultations to our customers as well for those people who just need that extra help. And yep. it's always Trezor. Uh, sorry, it's always Ledger. Ledger, Correct. interesting. Yeah, always Ledger. Yeah. Wow. It's just... Is is that devices getting bricked as well? Like in terms of you know not being like usable and you have to sort of replace them like that versus Trezor versus Ledger. Uh, is that something as well? But yeah, both. So definitely like actual support with just people learning how to use it. It's like you know nine to one in terms of uh ledger and wow. then when it comes to uh like devices sort of malfunctioning or or having issues with them um it's not as bad anymore but during the sort of 2017 2018 bull market when you know everyone was going crazy there was a big influx of new users everyone was buying hardware wallets yep Both, all these companies were trying to scale up and they were kind of i guess cutting corners on their quality assurance and so Ooh. we found at that time um a lot more ledger devices were being um were coming back to us with issues and even like the, the common one with the nano x which is the one that has the bluetooth and built-in battery is yeah. because it has a battery that often is the thing that malfunctions first um you know think of your smartphone it's always the battery that you notice uh that starts to give way after a year or two and it's the yeah. same thing with hardware wallet so the trezor the trezor is super simplistic in that way it doesn't have any extra stuff built into it there's no internal batteries it's just plug it in via the cable and it uses the power from your machine whereas yeah the nano x particularly has like battery issues um so we do see some return faults albeit it's not as much as it used to be it is still quite low but at a point in time it was quite high that's fascinating yeah so like my experience as well so like at, at my school at Rona park they had um i think it was like 0.23 btc left out of the 21 BTC that was donated and we put it onto a ledger, put it into the safe at school. And it was like an uphill battle to try and get school council to agree on what to buy with that. So it was just like went on and on. And then eventually when they gave it the okay, when I wasn't at the school anymore, they um, plugged it in and it was like bricked. <laughs> so I like, so the, the firmware had gotten so old that you couldn't update it anymore. And they obviously didn't keep the uh, the seed phrase. So they're contacting Ledger and they're like, oh, yeah, we can send you a new one. And they're like, uh, <laughs> but that's not what we need sort of thing. So that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, so, And I've known a few people to have similar sort of issues like that um, with the Ledger. So, wow, okay, and and better better interface as well. That's That's really good to know. So I guess like going back to the ledger then, the big selling feature is really like the NFTs and all the um, extra stuff you can do with it. Whereas yeah, this it's is the coin support. Like it, yeah. it, it supports yeah. like 11,000 different coins, albeit most of those are ERC-20 Ethereum-based tokens, but they just yeah. have a lot of coin support. So, you know, if you're interested in all of the different altcoins, then the ledger devices tend to be the one that supports most of what you might hold. Um, yep. Trezor supports quite a lot too. Don't get me wrong, um, yep. but there are some, like I don't think it supports XRP, and XRP is quite a popular coin. Um, you know, it's a top five kind of coin. So a lot of users would be like, "Oh, well, that sucks." You know, I've got a lot of XRP, so maybe I'll have to go for Ledger because it supports that. So 
<laughs> bloody XRP. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would probably say to them, maybe you should sell your XRP, but <laughs> <laughs> how is that still a thing? It's insane. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. That's really, really interesting. Um, so this one I wanted to to get into. So I've I've got some of these just recently. So just a calculator, as they say. Um, super secure, and you can basically do transactions without the device ever touching the internet, which is just incredible. And there's a whole bunch of walkthroughs online that the hardware is completely open source, the software is completely open source, and really good support as well from these guys. So I, I couldn't recommend them highly enough. Um, definitely worth looking into, Chris, if you're looking to expand for, for your business. Um, I, I couldn't rate them highly enough. Um, they do as well, the open dimes that I was talking about they have inside this grenade. Um, and that's basically like a, a slim down version of this where you can put on a few sats sort of to, to give to somebody. Really great um, user interface for that because it's just basically a USB stick that you stick in and gives you a QR code. Boom, send your sats to it. This is really complex <laughs> to set up. Super secure but I wouldn't recommend it for anyone that hasn't um, basically dived in and, and done the work sort of beforehand. So um, I was going to say like Ledger first, then Trezor, and then sort of upgrade to something like this, but maybe Trezor is the, the first point of uh, call before you sort of do that. Um, but yeah, highly recommended. Great, great company. And they do all sorts of cool stuff at um, CoinKite. Like they've got a whole bunch of packages and, Another thing that I'm going to talk about as well, um, and actually I got one of them as well, which is pretty cool. But they do packages that you can get, the bit clock um, that lets you look at the latest block and you can program it for all sorts of stuff. Um, and they've got the blo uh, block clock mini as well and great, great support for both of them. Um, so yeah, highly recommended jumping on and checking out some of their stuff. Um, there was this site as well that I came across that basically listed a whole bunch of wallets that I'd never even heard of before. Um, and it seems like there's like heaps, heaps out there. Um, but yeah, worth having a squiz and seeing if there's anything that sort of piques your interest on, on some of them, I suppose. In terms of actually trying stuff out though, I think what we sort of mentioned today um, previously is kind of the, the place to start and then expand out into other areas. Um, this is the thing that I wanted to, talk about um tonight because i think this like the, the user experience i had with with this device has just surpassed every btc wallet and every hardware wallet that i've used in the past in terms of security and usability um and I, we went into this at the score bitcoin meeting um last week but i just wanted to recap on it because it's it's really worthwhile um, doing a dive and quite cheap as well, like to have a play around with. So essentially what you get is like one of these cards here. So literally a card that fits into your wallet. Um, and basically you can take this and sign up to Nunchucks. So Nunchucks, uh, uh, well, it's on, it's on Android, iOS and Windows and Linux, um, but the you'd need like an NFC reader for your computer if you're going to use it. So just, get, just grab the, the phone app. And basically you sign up, create an account, and this is your seed phrase. So instead of having like those, you know, 12 or 24 words that you usually have to get with a, a wallet, you don't get that at all. So you just have this and you tap onto the, the phone via NFC. It's the same way you do with like a NFC to, you know, pay for stuff when you go to the shops and that sort of thing. Same sort of thing to your phone. And it, it creates a, a key on your phone, right? So with that key, you can create a multi-sig wallet. So all of us here can be can be connected and go, all right, we're gonna create a a uh, you know two of five or two two of five or you know, five of ten or whatever it is, whatever your numbers you want to do. Um wallet. So meaning you have like two people that have to sign off or three of five or whatever it is. Um and basically you set up a transaction, boom, tap your phone on each end and away it goes. And we were set up seriously in about 15 minutes, maybe not even, maybe 10 minutes. Like it was super quick and easy to use. And I was just like blown away by the UX 
and how cheap it was as well. So I think anybody now coming along could, with a little bit of coaching, be set up with a multi-sig wallet for like, like it says on there, like for a family fund or uh, even for a business um, to get up and be pretty secure that the, or pretty pretty um, confident that their securities pretty top-notch um, with minimal sort of effort. And that's not going to hide private keys or, or seed phrases or anything in weird places or whatever. It's literally just having that in your wallet and somebody else that you trust. Um, so highly recommend grabbing one of them. They're like, it's like 40 bucks or something. Um, and yeah, the Nunchuck wallet. And it's actually, it's an encrypted uh, chat tool as well. So you can actually uh, like set up a, a room for all of us if we wanted to chat in there and go, all right, guys, we want to do a transaction to pay whatever it is. Um, so we're, we're looking at doing one for the school of Bitcoin specifically. So it would mean um, basically for learners coming into that that have projects they want to build, we can just chat in the app and go, cool, here's this is this project or this uh, thing that these these learners want to build. Do we all agree? Boom. Then you you tap your, your card on there and away you go. So yeah, highly recommended. And They've got all these cool designs. I'm kind of jealous, actually. I think I might get another one because mine's kind of boring. But yeah, they've got all these like cool designs now that um weren't available when I bought mine. So <laughs> I'm gonna have a look and probably get another one. I think. But the other the other cool thing is as well, you only need one of these to have multiple wallets, right? So you can have a personal one, a a, a you know a group one, a work one, whatever, all from the one one key. And it's not predicated on having multiple multiple cards. So, yeah, super cool stuff and completely open source as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that one. And finally, I just wanted to do a bit of an activity um, with you guys. So I don't know if, if anyone's seen this website before, uh, but it's called Wallet Scrutiny. And basically it takes, um, well, it's not completely accurate because I think some of the stuff's uh, a bit out of date. But um, if everybody can go, if you're on a computer, just to WalletScrutiny.com and um, yeah, bring it up and then bang in one of the, uh, either one of the the wallets that we spoke about today. I might do Bitbox. You reckon Bitbox is good? I might chuck that in and see, see what they have to say. Um, I like it. Cool, cool. It looks cool. looks funky. So let's see. So they give you... Jesus, they've done a fair few from the looks of it. It's the O2, right? Yeah. All right. Not reproducible. Oh, okay. So I think that means it can be open source, but they didn't get the the binaries matching the so that could be out of date as well. But basically it gives you a rundown of whatever device you put in. And they've they've really really gone for it to see like um, what's secure, what's not. It probably goes a bit overboard to be honest, but I really like it. So let's we check out Ledger. Oh, open Ledger. What's that? Cool DIY. Uh, so we'll do Ledger Nano S. Very common one. So no source for that found. So. That's what we're going into before. So it means basically no source code. So if you wanted to, you can't review the source code for that. So meaning there could be backdoors and God knows what in the software, probably not. But the fact that no one can review it means that you don't know, right? So it's just like a a black box, basically. Um, Leans on the classic saying, right? Don't trust, verify. So in in Ledger's case, we have to trust them. We have to trust that what they're saying about their devices being secure is the truth. Whereas for someone like Trezor, we can actually, we don't have to take their word for it. I mean, we're not perhaps smart enough to do this, but there are security researchers all around the world who independently review the code and then come to their own assessments using their expertise that we can also then go, okay, look, he's 25 different security experts that have said this checks out. We can't do the same thing if the if the product is closed source. That's right. Exactly right. I'll stop share. Um, 
yeah, so if anyone wants to jump onto that website and then put in a wallet that I've mentioned or one that you use, you know, I know we haven't got many people here, but be good to to see um, some feedback on what you guys are using out there or, um, yeah, any any questions as well. No? <laughs> Oh yeah, I got a couple of questions. So if I've got a uh, if I've got a ledger and I want to use a trezor, can I just use the same seed words in a trezor as a ledger? No, no, definitely not. So so you got both, right? Yeah. So if I buy a new trezor, can I just whack in the seed words that are generated from the ledger, and will it bring up my coins? No, no. Two two different pieces of hardware. Um, completely. That's a good question, actually, because you would, yeah. You might be able to. It all depends on if they're using the same BIP39 protocol, which as far well, as you, I'm aware, they do. You wouldn't know, though, would you? Because it's closed source. Well, we, that's a good point, but I'm pretty sure they use the same type of recovery phrase protocol, which is the BIP39. So I've never tested this myself, and I've always wondered um, whether it could be done. But theoretically, as long as like you could recover your Trezor seed phrase on any other, on a software wallet, on any other hardware wallet, as long as it supported that same type of protocol. As far as I'm aware, they both use BIP39. So it should, in theory, work. But if they're different coin compatibilities, then you might run into a bit of trouble because you won't be able to actually open up that particular coin. But um, for Bitcoin, for instance, if you had Bitcoin on a Trezor and you wanted to restore that onto a ledger, I think that should work. Don't hold me to that because, like I said, I've not actually tested it myself. I, I once used the seed phrase of uh, Ledger Nano S for a SafePal um, uh, wallet, wallet. It worked so for, for any wallet. So seed phrase, I thought that was 24 words. That kind of 20 word, 24 words. It, it worked. So, oh, wow. So, so you can use that uh, for, well, I never used with Trezor, but I thought it might work. Yeah, it should in theory work with pretty much all of them because as far as I know, the vast majority of hardware wallet providers do follow that same BIP39 protocol. I know with the Trezor T, you have the option now to use, I think, either 12, uh, 18 or 24 words. And so you might run into some trouble if another hardware wallet doesn't support 12, where you have 12, they only support 24. So there might be some compatibility issues like that. But if they both support BIP39, 39 and you've got 24 words then yeah in theory it should work should test it so just uh, another question there is uh you know quite often you get the the human error of writing down the seed words and testing i guess um you know probably the most common one that i hear around is like you know say for example anyone could be buying bitcoin or could be a, an artist gets in NFTs, next thing they, yeah, they're great. They download a wallet, they write down their words. They never check their words. Um, mm. So they go back one day and they've got to recover their wallet and they've got their words wrong. Uh, is there like services around that are, that are trusted services? Quite often it's one word might've been written down wrong. Um, have you guys ever used any services to recover? Recover that. That's a good question. I've no. helped a few clients with these types of issues where they, have lost access to their um, Bitcoin and they've got their words or what they thought were their words and it didn't restore the wallet that they were expecting it to restore. And so I actually helped a client in Melbourne about two years ago. Um, we tried to brute force our way into his wallets using the words that he did have, thinking that he's probably made a mistake somewhere along the lines. So we pulled up the, the 2048 word list and we went through that basically one by one and said, like, where could we have made a mistake? Maybe you wrote down the wrong letter or, you know, but it's the mathematical, like it takes a, a supercomputer, like thousands of years to brute force their way into a, into a seed phrase. I'm human. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I can only try one combination every couple of minutes, maybe every five to 10 minutes. Like a, a supercomputer is doing that, that computation at, you know, hundreds, if not thousands or tens of thousands a second. The amount of different combinations of the seed phrase is, uh, what is it? 2048 to the power of 24. I don't even know how to say that number. Like it's a big <laughs> bloody number. So uh, 
yeah, if you get that order wrong or you misspell a word or, or anything like that, like you're kind of stuffed. Like there isn't really anybody that anything anyone can do. So that's why we always say like, that's the most important piece of, of it all. Like, yes, the hardware wallet is nice and you can get all different types, but without the, without the seed phrase or without the recovery phrase, if you lose your hardware wallet, you're buggered. So I always say this because it's like kind of shocking, but, and I certainly don't recommend this, but you could in theory set up a hardware wallet, write down your, uh, your, seed, your seed phrase, send all your Bitcoin to that hardware wallet, walk into the toilet, drop it in the, in the toilet and flush it down the toilet. Now, again, I wouldn't recommend doing this because it's very inconvenient, but as long as you've got your 24 words or your 12 words or 18 or whatever combination you've got, um, you can just repurchase a new product, restore that on the new device and voila, like magic, your coins are back. So if anything, those words are the most important thing. It's not the actual physical hardware. The physical hardware gives you a place to put the words and then to sign for things. But at the end of the day, if you can remember 24 words in your head, that's, that's all you need to own Bitcoin. And one more thing, Christopher, I thought based on BIP39, uh, the words comes from a dictionary kind of, so if you misspell some letters of that word, it, it may, it, you can easily find out which words it is, but if it's completely the wrong way, so mm. you probably lost it. So because it comes from a dictionary of the words. Uh, yes, that's right. You, you can find out when you type Every hardware wallets, when you write the seed words, they want you to re-enter the words again to find out that you, you, you write it out. And you can find it when you type it, they recommend the words to you. They, they can find out that, you know, for yeah. example, so yes, you're right, words, so when you type a B-I-R, so they, they, they know, for example. Yeah, you're right. The The word list is public knowledge. It comes from 2048 words and, and they are known. So if you, you make a simple spelling mistake, like you put one letter in front of the other, you, you could probably more or less figure out where you've gone wrong. Um, no word in that list of 2048 words is the same to the fourth character. So you might have two words that start with F-I-R, but then that fourth character will be different. Um, and that's, I guess, where there, there aren't too many words where there are even three characters the same, but there are a few in that list. And so theoretically, you only actually need the first four characters of each word um, because once you have the first four, there's nothing else that it could be. Um, and so some of the products that we sell that, that help manage and store your recovery phrase, like the bill fodder, which is a, a steel plate, which is waterproof, fireproof, shockproof, and rustproof which is obviously much more durable than a piece of paper, which is most where most people store their recovery phrases. That only has a spot for four characters. And people often get really confused. Like, oh, my word's six, six letters long, but this only has a space for four. And, and the reason is because you only actually need the first four characters. It's just easier to remember a full word. So if the word was table, it's easier to remember table than T-A-B-L. T-A-B-L is like table. What, what, what is that? But you put an E on the end and it's like, oh, it's table. You know, that's easy to remember. And it's a bit easier for the human mind to comprehend. But theoretically, you only need T-A-B-L. Chris, so you know, say, for example, if you set up a ledger and it gives you your 24 seed words, some of the words might only have three letters. So in the case of, say, you were using that same seed phrase to recover your wallet <laughs> in a non-ledger. So, example, uh, it might not prompt you with a word. So say, for example, you've got car or care. So care is obviously for, you know, I'll say care, car, care, and careful. So careful, obviously, you're only using the first four letters. Care's got the four letters, but car's only got three letters. Do you then put a space? How do you represent that if you had to just put all of your uh, string together? So the first four letters together, that's your cryptographic key, correct? So if it's in the case of there's only three in that letter that it generates you that seed words, um, do you just put three in the long key string? Yeah, I don't actually know if there are any words that clash that conveniently, like your example. You would just enter what the word is. And um, yeah. like uh, Mike correctly mentioned, on some of the hardware wallets, it does autofill. So it narrows down from, from the list. Yeah. If it's not doing that, then you'd, and if it was your example, if it was car, you just put C-A-R and then you'd move to the next word. Like that's yeah, your, sure. that's you saying, this is my word. Um, and when you get to the end, 
it'll automatically figure out like, is this correct? Is this not correct? And then it will display whatever wallets are attached to that, that private key. Um, but yeah, I don't think there are any words in the list. I, I'm pretty sure care, like car care and careful are not on the list. Sure. But there are definitely a couple that are like super close, but it's not too many words. And the chances of you getting those two words next to each other, or like even in the same 24, it's pretty slim. Again, I don't know the math off the top of my head, but it's pretty slim. Yeah. I don't know if anyone had any questions too about like the differences. Say a lot of us, you know, some when we first started out might have just used a phone wallet. So you downloaded a, say, a Bitcoin.com wallet, say, for example, um, which just first came out with an, with ETH and Bitcoin on it, uh, but it went straight onto your phone. What's the what's the difference there? You know, most people are just on, on a device. They're not doing a cold storage. They've still got to do their seed words. Uh, what's what's the risk of just having your 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 wallets on your phone? Well, it's it's connected to the internet, right? So that's like hot versus cold. So you have a device that's air gapped and not connected, meaning that no one's going to be able to hack into it because it's it's off, right? If your computer's on or your your smartphone's on, there's a whole bunch of risk vectors getting into your device to actually. Um, hack you so yeah highly recommended to to not do that um that being said though like with with this guy like the the security aspect is the network of people that you know right so it's like having um a secure group so like even if your device got hacked gordon so say you set up nunchuck and you've got this and you've tapped your nfc and someone somehow breaks into your android device and um, they've figured out, you know, how to remotely control your phone or whatever, and then somehow managed to get you to tap this somehow, like through social engineering or whatever, still has to go through all the other people to do that as well. So the multi-sig aspect, I think, is is really key to doing that. And you don't have to have one of these. You can actually do it with, with the hardware wallet as well, so Ledger, Trezor, whatever, um, through Dunchark. Really simple interface for setting up multi-sig it's just so so beautiful the way they've set it up because i've done multi-sig in the past like it's clunky and hard and you you need two people that are sort of technical but they've just bridged that gap so well so multi-sig i think is is kind of the answer to that so you can have a hot wallet um and and be relatively secure as well now doing that the only the only drawback to multi-sig this is something i listened to recently on a podcast um, is the fact that you're more exposed. So um, security is better, but the transactions for a multi-signature transaction on the blockchain are really obvious. So for those third parties who want to investigate transactions and are creepily looking at, you know, whatever transactions are happening on the blockchain, they stick out apparently. So you can see, oh, that's a multi-sig. Where's that coming from? And where's the IP address and sort of thing. So, I mean, that's that's the trade-off for that as well. But I think the security and ease of security that they've developed with that is is really exciting to me anyway. Werner, uh, we've just got Werner's join us here. If you've got any questions about wallets uh, at all. Mm, just a question about... Um... Uh, how easy it is to um, exchange currency from a decentralized uh, way using cold wallets. So let's say I have some Bitcoin that would like to exchange them with uh, another currency using like a decentralized platform like Cake or, or Uni. How easy it is to do through a cold wallet? Uh, Ledger actually supports that. So you can do it natively on, on Ledger Live, actually even off your phone now as well, which is pretty cool. Um, so does Trezor. They, so have, Trezor. Uh, they yeah. have partnerships with different um, exchanges or, or coin swapping um, services uh, where you can do it within the platform itself. Um, but uh, like using, using a hardware wallet, uh, either a Ledger or a Trezor, and something like MetaMask is actually not that difficult. Um, so if mm. you were trading on Uniswap, for instance, which I think uh, was one of the examples, you can actually set up your MetaMask yeah. account to not use 
one of the addresses that just gets generated from within the MetaMask plugin, but instead you link your hardware wallet and um, and it pulls from that. And so whenever you want to do a trade on Uniswap, for instance, you go to Uniswap, you open up your MetaMask plugin, it, it picks up the wallet. You have to have your hardware wallet plugged in because when you go to actually execute that transaction, it's going to ask you for the final step before it confirms to physically press the button on the hardware wallet. And that's the signing of the transaction. So you get the benefits of both worlds, actually. So there's a there's a nice blog on our website um, that runs through how to actually set this up and how to do it. Otherwise, there's plenty of resources on, on YouTube and, and all over the internet if you want to have like a step-by-step guide on how to actually set up MetaMask using your hardware wallet. But that is the, the recommended way if you are going to trade on DEXs using something like Uniswap and MetaMask that you connect your MetaMask to your hardware wallet. So you get that additional layer of security. Mm. And what, what type of fees um, or slippage are expected with you when you do this type of trade? Like, is there any average or is it's it like- It's just whatever whatever the network fees are. There's no additional fees from for using your hardware wallet. Um, it's just whatever the Ethereum network or whatever whatever network you're using. It's just a normal transaction. There's no difference at all. So, so when you want to use the actual, uh, actually, um, MetaMask in Web3 environment, it's better to use that connection to the of uh, the hardware wallet. I I found it the best way, you know, to be on Web3 world. For sure, yeah. You you get like I said, you get the best of both worlds. You get to use the nice, user friendly, inbuilt, in browser built, uh, MetaMask, um, but you don't have to trade off the fact that you're using an online wallet. And you still get to piggyback on all the beautiful things that a hardware wallet offers you. So it it, it is highly recommended um, to do it that way, especially if you've got you know fairly significant amounts of money. If you're just playing with you know fifty or hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin or Ethereum, then maybe it doesn't matter so much because it's not so life changing if that fifty or hundred dollars goes missing. But if we're talking about trading you know half a Bitcoin or or a few Ethereum or whatever number that is to you that starts to feel like, mm, if I lost this, that would kind of suck. Use a hardware wallet. It's just, it adds one extra step, but it's such an important step. Uh, um, Crystal, do you know that we can connect Trezor to, um, to MetaMask as well, or? Yeah, you can, you can. I haven't done it, but if you, if you open up MetaMask and you, uh, oh, I've got it here right in front of me. Let me just quickly open it. Oh, I don't remember my password. Okay. That's great. Um, there should be an option to like import wallet, I think is the terminology they use. So if you go to the, uh, where is it? If you click on like your account in the top sort of right bit, it says uh, connect hardware wallet is the third option down. You click on that and then it opens up a new a new window and it actually says like, which hardware wallet do you have? And it has Ledger, Trezor and two other things called Lattice and QR based. So there might be other hardware wallets that are supported as well. Um, maybe like the SafePal or, or something like that. I'm not sure, but definitely Ledger and Trezor. You click on the one, you plug in your Trezor and you kind of follow the prompts. It uh, asks you to like export some public addresses. So MetaMask can kind of receive, have receiving addresses on behalf of your Ledger. But at the end of the day, the signing key never leaves the hardware wallet. And that'll be the thing that, so if someone hacks your computer, takes over your mouse and your keyboard, opens up your Google Chrome or whatever browser you're using, opens up MetaMasks. They probably know your password because they've had your computer hacked for a while. So they've been key logging all of that sort of stuff. They they enter the password. They then go to send something from your MetaMask account without your permission to their own wallet. The final step will be now, please confirm that transaction with your hardware wallet, which obviously they're not going to be able to do because they don't have access to your hardware wallet that's sitting with you physically. And so that's the, that's the, the key protection that hardware wallets offer you is that you know, your computer can be completely infected with malware and all sorts of bad things. But at the end of the day, to sign any transaction, you're going to need to physically press a button on the device. And if you're not in the room with that device, you can't do it. Hey, if I've got a question just about um, connecting up on the phishing sites, say, for example, so... I had experience the other day myself where I just connected. I, I was just cruising around a bit too fast and something something came up and I connected my MetaMask up to a, to a website and didn't go through the trouble of, you know, making sure it was a safe website. 
So it started spinning transactions in a MetaMask. There was nothing on chain um, and my wallet might have been exposed. Um, like it's another probably a common thing. People just go, especially new people. I mean, I've been around a while, so I shouldn't be running into issues like that, security issues. Uh, but I did. Um, yeah, it's it's like the same story of recording your seed words at the start. You record them, you never check them, or you, you, you've you been in the game three years and you're still, or whatever, however many years, uh, and you're connecting up to things. What's How does that work? Can you actually, if I connected... So I guess my question, if I connected my MetaMask to a phishing site, could they then hack my wallet? Absolutely. <laughs> Not if you're using a hardware. Oh, the hardware wallet. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. If you're using a hardware wallet, no. But if you're not using a hardware wallet and just the, the software version of MetaMask, um, then yeah, of course, uh, they could very much easily do that. And that's, again, why I recommend using a hardware wallet, certainly for any significant amounts of money. Um, but to touch on one of the other points you just kind of mentioned, I think it's important to remember that with Bitcoin, you are taking control of your own assets. You are being self-sovereign. So there is an element of responsibility when it comes to that. And that is probably one of the biggest hurdles that most people have to overcome initially when it comes to mm -hmm. storing their own keys and, and their own Bitcoin is that for as long as we've all been alive, um, the traditional financial world has taken ownership of our stuff on our behalf. And that's been, you know, a reasonably good, but sometimes not so good relationship. Um, you know, depends where you're from, of course. Here in Australia, we get relatively well looked after, um, but, you know, we're starting to see some signs of it not going so well. So there is a big mental hurdle to, to, to and a lot of people get really nervous because they're like, oh, if I lose my Bitcoin, you know, like that's it. And I can't call the Bitcoin CEO and say, you know, can you please undo the transaction? It's just not how it works. Whereas when you get hacked or you get skimmed or whatever, you just call your bank and they say, okay, no worries. We'll look into it. And a few days later, they'll probably return the money. And so that is, that is a big thing that people need to overcome is that, you know, we all, humans have this weird trait where we like to blame something. There always mm -hmm. needs to be someone to blame. And, and often it's, it's yourself is the last person you, you want to blame. Even the, even if you are at fault, you will always look to point the finger elsewhere. And so with yeah. banks and with PayPal and all these other services, we can point the finger at them, you know, oh, you know, bank got hacked or Optus got hacked, you know, but at the end of the day, like when it comes to Bitcoin, you're taking that responsibility. And so that's a big thing. It's very good. Like it's a very good thing. And it's a very uh, like taking self-sovereignty of your own, money is is a huge feeling and when you've done it like you and, you and you get it and you're comfortable with it there's nothing like it it's almost as if you don't want to go back you don't want to ever trust anyone with your own money again but getting to that point of feeling comfortable is the challenge that most people find um, and that's why you know whilst software wallets aren't the greatest in terms of um, security they are part of the stepping stone they are part of the journey um, download a wallet on your phone put 50 bucks in there have a play around get comfortable with the terminology copy pasting addresses, managing seed phrases, restoring wallets, all that sort of stuff. And then as you start get more comfortable and start investing more of your capital and it starts becoming a bit more serious, then you, you upgrade your skills at the same time. So you buy yourself a hardware wallet, then you learn how to use one of those. Like it's a, it's a, it's a journey. Like Bitcoin certainly can't be learned overnight. Um, it, you know, I've been studying Bitcoin more or less full time since 2011 and I still learn a lot of stuff and have huge knowledge gaps because there's so much to it. So you do need hundreds, if not thousands of hours looking into <laughs> this stuff. And I don't mean to say that to sort of turn people away. Um, <laughs> there is, there is beauty in that as well, right? Like you, you, you can't learn something so complex and so beautiful overnight. Otherwise mm -hmm. it wouldn't be very complex and beautiful. That's true. Very true. What, what do you guys uh, think of the uh, 2F as a security system? Is it, is it good enough or, um, I mean, obviously a cold wallet is not connected to the web. So of course it's, um, it's going to be more protected, but I thought so far that um, like, a, like at least a 20 digit password plus uh, a 2FA was actually quite a good way to protect your, your assets from an exchange or somewhere like that. Uh, what, so what do you get? Two-factor two authentication can actually be an entry point um, or a vulnerability. So it, yes, it, it is good to have, um, but there's been a number of cases where 
Um, numbers have been spoofed and basically it's it's an entry point into whatever system you're on. So for example, if you're um, state Gmail to give an example, Gmails have been hacked through people actually resetting their password to a spoofed um, phone number. That phone number then has the 2FA to get into the account and then into everything else they have. So 2FA is not the be-all and end-all unless you've set it up from scratch with a phone number that's never been attached to anything else that you have. So no one knows that it's yours. No one knows that it's used for 2FA at all. So it's that's a really key aspect to um, security that I think a lot of people overlook and it's I think it's quite important but but going back to to Chris's point for for BTC I just wanted to interject with that um, a little bit just with the, the I think there's a lot of people sort of conflate the the BTC network with something like MetaMask where MetaMask is kind of built on the Ethereum network and kind of interfaces with that which is cool and there's all these like experimental things running on that um but in terms of like hardware security for something like btc and the btc network a network that's never been hacked and never gone down versus like a centralized system and a centralized protocol like ethereum two very different things that get conflated um and in terms of security i wouldn't i wouldn't trust metamask even with a hardware wallet um it's a play thing right so it's a thing to play around with web3 stuff it's not a place to put money or resources or um, investment into. And I think to make that distinction clear in your mind is really important. And a lot of people take a lot of time to get there, but it's uh, an important, important point. Yeah. I, I, I just want to add a couple of things there. So to what you just said, Kieran, um, I look at it as the tuition cost. So all these, <laughs> all these mistakes and hacks and learnings and trading and getting wrecked on the market, it's part of your tuition costs. It's like going to university to get a bachelor, you pay your fees, and at the end you get the piece of paper. Some yeah. people get through it in the in the normal allocated time. Some people take extra long to get through it. Some people flunk out and get there, but I end like up with, with all the costs. So we've all paid a tuition fee, every single one of us. Some have paid more, some have paid less. But um, so you know, it's a, it's not it's okay to make mistakes as part of the learning experience. You just try to limit them, I guess, and you don't want to pay excessive tuition fees. Um, but to touch on the, on the 2FA, 2FA is considered quite good. I would never use SMS 2FA um, for basically the reasons Kieran touched on. Um, great, you know, great example is the Optus hack. Now everyone has all these bits of yes. information and, and phone numbers tied to it. Your phone number at least here in Australia and many other parts of the world to register a SIM card, you need to provide a proof of identity. So a driver's mm -hmm. license or a passport. So there's already a database somewhere that says this phone number belongs to this ID. So it's already kind of game over before you've even started. So if you are going to use 2FA, which I highly recommend on anything that allows it, try to use something like Google Authenticator or Authy or something like that. Some places even allow you to use thing pieces of hardware like yeah. a Trezor. So Yubi. if, if yeah. YubiKey or a Trezor itself, you can use to sign into a lot of places. Not everywhere will support it, but you know something like Google Authenticator is much better than an SMS because of the SIM swapping attack. It's just so easy and so common. I would never, ever recommend anyone using SMS to FA if given the option between that and something like Google Authenticator. Now, I don't well, like Google no, either. That's but, what I was yeah. referring to, yeah. And I, I, I was confused because I thought you were saying that a Google Authenticator 2FA was actually connected to my telephone number. No, it shouldn't be, but it's connected to your device and your device has all sorts of um, IDs since, like connected to it. So it's it's not a perfect system either, but it is much, much better than SMS 2FA just because of the SIM swapping attack. It's so very easily done. And because your identity is already attached to your SIM card before you even start connecting it to exchanges, it's kind of, you've sort of made your bed and slept in it before you've even, you know, fallen asleep. So um, yeah, highly, highly do not recommend doing that. And, but at the end of the day, like if this was a good level of protection, then we would essentially never see exchanges hacked and <laughs> there's no shortage of exchange hacks. They happen <laughs> all the time. And 
by design, there is always going to be some, especially if it's an open order book exchange, if it's just like an exchange, an exchange, which is more of a brokerage where everything's just happening offline per se, and it's just trading on a glorified Excel spreadsheet, then it's probably not that big of a risk. But for anything that has an open order book where people are actively trading in live on that network or on that platform, there will be a percentage of the user's liquidity and their funds exposed to that environment. So most exchanges, I've worked at exchanges before, so I do know this, but most exchanges have about 95% um, of their customers' funds. So if they have a million customers and they have $10 million worth of their customers' funds on their platform, 95% of it on average will be stored in cold storage hardware wallets, which is fantastic. But mm. that, that other 5%, that needs to be on the platform to provide liquidity so people could trade with each other. And that's the 5% that gets attacked. It's not the hardware wallet stuff. It's the stuff that's exposed. And so if we're talking about Binance or, or Coinbase or any of these large exchanges that are doing millions, tens of millions of dollars worth of volume, have hundreds of millions of dollars worth of customer funds, 5% doesn't sound like much. But when you say 5% of 100 million, now we're talking about some pretty significant amounts of money. And this is where people get stuffed up. And so like Cryptopia got hacked, which is a New Zealand exchange back in 2019, I think it was. And yeah. it was about 35 million or something like that, 20 or 30, 30 million. And only certain coins got stolen. So like a bit of Ethereum, a few different uh, Ethereum altcoins. And, and, and that, that wasn't like Bitcoin. It wasn't some other coins. But everyone's funds on that exchange got locked because they went into receivership. And it's now almost four years later down the track. And they're still going through the liquidators and through the courts to figure out how to pay those people back. Do you pay the people that only lost their coins? Because like I had Bitcoin, my Bitcoin wasn't stolen. Just give me my Bitcoin back. The people that were holding the coins that got stolen, well, tough luck on them. Or do we say, well, everyone takes a bit of a clip because we're all users of the platform. I guess this is what they're trying to work out. And this is four years later and people still haven't seen a dime of their money while all of the money that is left is now being milked by the liquidators themselves, ironically, because the longer they, it gets dragged out, the more that they get paid. So I just don't understand why you would ever risk it, even if like you do have 2FA or you just like get yourself off the exchange. Like they're not security experts, they're trading platforms. Use them for what they're used, used to be used for and use a hardware wallet for what hardware wallets are to be used for, which is securing your coins. Well, now that you bring in the topic, um, I actually developed a, a trading algorithm for the last two years that is quite successful. And uh, I was actually looking for people who would like to re re review it and tell me if it has any source of values and, uh, and eventually support like using that uh, trading system to create like a business for moms and dads who would like to invest safely in uh, cryptocurrency. But um, well, I'm probably not the right person to answer that question because I'm not a trader and I'm not no, interested I'm probably at not all. the right person either. <laughs> but you certainly wouldn't be the only person to devise a trading algorithm and to have a business model based off something like that. And um, it comes with risks. So I would, I would just say that upfront. No trading algorithm, regardless of how successful it's been, is foolproof. There are so many different ways that markets are manipulated. Uh, we see flash crashes where they go down to zero for half a second and come back up just to liquidate everyone. Who knows who's behind those sorts of things? No trading algorithm can really kind of account for those types of black swan events, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. But yeah, like there are, there are plenty of people out there that do have this as a business model where they, where they sell some trading algorithm thing that makes like both in the traditional finance world and in the cryptocurrency world, this is not a new thing. Um, but I would just say there's, a lot of risk involved with that kind of business. There are certainly people out there that might be able to offer feedback though. Just, it wouldn't be me. Well, well do you know anyone that would be interested in like having a look and telling me what the, the thing, and by the way, I'm not offering any support in futures. So liquidation is not an option. It's just um, buying and selling coins. And um, yeah, if any of you guys have any clue, cause um, I developed this uh, algorithm in the last two years and um, I'm, I'm just doing this on my own and yeah, I would like to see if it has any sorts of value that can be helped for the community. Where, whereabouts are you based, Max? Uh, Sydney. I own Sydney. I was going to say uh, maybe hop into the blockchain center. Obviously some people there. Uh, I'm not too familiar with the, the Sydney 
scene though? I, I would probably recommend um, trying to join as many uh, crypto based groups, especially trading specific ones. They're all over Telegram, Discord, Twitter. You will find the people and then just throwing out like an introduction into those groups and saying, hey, you know, I'm Max. I've been developing this trading algorithm over the last two years. Here's what it does. Here's what I've learned from it. Would anyone be interested in trying it out, having a look, giving me feedback? You'll find there are a lot of traders out there. I'm just not one of them. So it's not interesting <laughs> to me, but I know there are plenty of them out there and you will find them. Sure. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. I've got to skedaddle because we're going to, to dinner. I'm getting the uh, evil eye from here. So. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, Chris, great show. Karen, that Thanks was awesome. Much. Thanks to Werner for coming. Everyone that was there. We'll be uh, back uh, Thursday, first Thursday of every month. Next Thursday, we'll get the um, we'll get the get the times right. Get the yeah. time zones right. And um, yeah, if uh, you can jump in the School of Bitcoin Discord and uh, tell us if you've got any topics you want to want to bring on, if we've got any special guests that you want to bring in. Um, so yeah, let's raise the topic early in the session next week. See what we want to do for next month. For sure, for sure. Yeah, shoot through the recording when you can, Gordon, and I'll absolutely be doing it straight away. Awesome. All right. See you guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Cheers. I'm going to leave.